How's everybody doing? It is great to be in the house of the Lord. It is great to be worshiping the God who is worthy. And uh, I pray that all we do, uh, anything that we do, brings him the glory that he deserves. We're going to talk about that actually some more today as we continue this series uh, that we're calling uh, Before and After. We're talking about the life that we had before Christ, not going back there. Uh, if you are without Christ, don't have faith in Christ yet, uh, this is the message of the Bible. He wants to save you from that life without him and bring you into a life in union with him uh, through a faith in Jesus Christ. And those of us who have put our faith in Christ, we understand we don't want to go back to the before. We want to stay in the after, in the life that God has given us in Jesus. And so uh, we're talking about that as Paul talks about it here in the book of Ephesians. As I am wont to do from time to time, I'm kind of changing the title of our message I don't know if you ever look in our bulletins and see the titles. I throw them on there uh, probably about five or six months before I preach them because that's when I prepare uh, the, the beginnings of a sermon, uh, five or six months out, so we kind of have a direction as a team. Uh, but then every once in a while I get in the, in the office on the Monday before I preach and I realize this, this is more what this is about. And so we're changing our title for the next couple of weeks to, to, to from uh, bad to good to grief to glory. And, and you'll see why in a second. But let me start with this. Uh, as we've been talking about glory, I was reminded this past week uh, of the Westminster Catechism. Anybody grow up Presbyterian? If you grew up Presbyterian and you went through catechism, which is basically classes to help you understand the doctrine of your church, uh, you probably experienced the Westminster Catechism. Westminster is this place in Scotland. A bunch of guys got together and said, you know what, we want our kids and those who are converts to our faith to understand what our faith is about. Let's kind of you know, set it up so that they can do that. And so they asked a bunch of questions in this catechism. The first one, maybe you're familiar with it, is this one. What is the chief end of man? They're basically saying in this catechism, in this study, what's the point? Why are we here? Why do we exist? And they answer the question this way, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's pretty succinct, pretty short, but it covers a wide breadth. Well, it covers our whole existence. <laughs> we exist you and I were created by God, for God, namely for his glory, that we might enjoy him in his creation forever, full stop. That's his hope for us, that we'd see him and understand him, that we'd, uh, for his glory, do anything and everything in our lives. Uh, for a time in creation, this is how things existed perfectly, without uh, anything stopping it. Uh, for the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, uh, God created these humans who hung out in this garden, and, uh, and they did. They, they did everything to glorify God. They glorified him perfectly. And I'm sure they enjoyed him in his presence as they uh, communed with him in his garden. But if you've read the Bible and you know our story a little bit, chapter 3 comes, we talk about it often. Mankind decided to stop glorifying their God and Instead, they, they put their focus and, and, and their um, purpose for glory on themselves. I want to glorify me. That was at the root of the first sins. They made it about themselves and not God. They're like uh, football players. I guess there's a game tonight. Go Pats. All right. All right, just wanted to see. No big deal. We're still here. But yeah, football games, especially as, as the game has evolved and gotten on television more and more, uh, football games have become kind of glory fests for those who succeed in them. Like if, if a guy scores a touchdown, his first move now is find the camera 
and, and do one of these. And now they can get the whole team to do it. So everybody comes up and they're like, yeah, look it up. Right? A few years back, uh, uh, they, would, they would go to the cameras and they'd turn around. I don't know if they're doing it as much anymore because it all, all, it's all fluid and changing. But they would take their thumbs and they would point to the name on their jersey, right? Y'all remember who scored that touchdown? His name, and you hope it's spelled right, but his name is Saunders, you know. It's all about me. It's, it's the world we live in. Uh, the world that we live in is obsessed with self and bringing glory To ourselves. It's, uh, it's not what God created us for. In fact, uh, when we live outside of God's design, you've heard me say this a lot of times in different ways, but when we seek to glorify ourselves by doing what God tells us not to do, we end up actually uh, defying God, disobeying God, certainly all those things. But, but there's something bigger at stake. Uh, we break the heart of God. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we choose to make much of ourselves and not him. You know, Paul's going to teach us in the next couple of weeks as he kind of goes through this little uh, 10 or so verse run um, that, that our behaviors, uh, while they certainly uh, can improve our lives, if we choose to honor God and do what he says, obviously it's going to be the best life that we can live. And so we can have a better life if we choose to honor God. And, and certainly our relationships and, 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 the, and the lives of the people around us can be better. We can, we can hope for that as we honor God. But but the chief motivator of our, of our choices, our behaviors in life, should not be my comfort or uh, my relationships. It should be the glory and the joy of my heavenly Father. And, and what often happens in churches is when we preach behaviorism, go do this, don't do that, and people kind of stop at the level of, I want my life to be better, so I'll, I'll do what God says here, or I want my relationships to be better, so I'll do what God says here, and they never get to the point where they're motivated by the majesty of their God, where they're motivated by the fact that God loves them. And when I defy him and disobey him, he's given me in, in our love relationship um, the ability to bring him joy or pain. See, our old self-choices hurt the heart of God. It says so, right, in, in Ephesians chapter 4. This is what he, but Paul is masterful in his writing. He, he gives some very, and by the way, can I just tell you this right off the bat? Not a lot of surprises in today's verses. You're going to hear Paul say, don't lie. Who thinks it's a good idea not to lie? Okay, we agree on that. Paul's going to say, don't be angry and be sinful in your anger. Anybody all for that? Who's all for people not getting raging, you know, crazy angry? Everybody got on that? Okay, this is going to be an easy sermon then. How many people think it's a good idea not to steal from other people? Anybody here? I mean, I'm done. I don't even know what I need to do anymore. Yeah. But, but here, here, here's in this, this list of things that describe the new self. Remember last week we talked about the fact that we're supposed to put off the old self and put on the new self that we already have in Christ? That we're meant to, to live uh, constantly renewing our minds, allowing the spirit to change our thinking? And that's, that's, that's the key to us being in Christ and, and operating as Christ would want us to operate, but, but it, it's not just so that we can be right and, and do the right things and be able to check the box that I, I didn't lie and I, I didn't get, you know, raging, crazy, angry, and I, I didn't steal this week. Boom, I'm righteous. No, it's, it's so that we can do those things as an act of love for our Father, so that we can do those things 
so that our God looks at us, his created ones, and he finds joy in our willingness to love him. I, I put it this way. I'm ahead of myself in my notes, but I'll, I'll summarize like this. I should be more concerned over what my sin is doing to the heart of God than I am over what its effects are in my life. See, God loves us. He, he calls us. He adopts us, it tells us earlier in the book of Ephesians, as his children. And here, as it says, that we grieve the heart of the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father are all one God. We grieve the heart of God. And as his beloved children, uh, we just have the power to be able to do that. We get that. Anybody here got kids? Anybody here got parents? Have I covered everybody? Yeah, and that, and that relationship between parents and children, um, there's just a unique opportunity for blessing both ways and an opportunity for grieving both ways. Like, I love your kids. I know a lot of your kids. I'm looking at some of you guys who have kids and, or who are kids of people that I know high over there. Most of you are the youngers. And I love you guys. I don't love you like I love my kids, but I love you guys. And my kids have this power in my life to give me joy unspeakable. That's going to be a problem later. And they have this power to, to send me into disappointment and dismay like your kids don't. Stood on this stage Wednesday night. We had a difficult funeral to, to go through as a church. And uh, many of you were here, and, and I'm grateful for your prayers, for everybody involved. And um, a young man, uh, uh, 22 years of age, uh, stood on this stage and, and, and eulogized talked about his mom who had uh, passed away. Uh, he's actually a, a part of our worship team, and so he took his guitar out and he sang some songs that were meaningful for him and his mom, and he actually led us as a church in worship. Now, he got done doing that and did an incredible job. It was just amazing and brave, and I don't know if I could have done it, but he did, and that's what God needed him to do for him to grieve. And uh, as he was walking off the stage, he came down here and he sat in the front uh, right there. And uh, I was standing at the podium here getting ready to do my next part. And his dad, also grieving with him, uh, stood up and just hugged his son for a long time. Not like a hug, pat, pat, good job. But a hug that says, you know what, in this moment, at this time, which is so hard for both of us, you have, even as everything else is hard, you have given me joy. And they sat down. It's because of their love for each other that that's possible. And in the same respect, our kids can just make us crazy, right? And they disappoint us. And, and some of us as parents, if we're sitting here, and, and you, you who are kids of parents, here's the deal. Sure, your parents are disappointed for you when you make boneheaded mistakes. <laughs> sure, your parents would, would prefer that you didn't do that so that it didn't reflect on you know, the family name or something like that. Sure, those were all parts of it. But, but if you're a good parent, here, here's what's really happening. Your heart, as our hearts break sometimes for our kids, Eleanor and I, your heart breaks for them because they're missing out on God's very best for their lives. And your grief goes beyond reputation and, and just, you know, being personally defied. Your grief enters into this realm of, of heartache for your children because they're just not having the best life, having what... God would desire for them by making the choices that they do. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So our Heavenly Father 
rejoices in us. When we honor him, there is a joy that wells up in the heart of God over our submitting to him and serving him. We bring him glory. That's good. That should be our motivation. It's our chief aim, the glory of our God. But make no mistake, when we defy God and his word, our first offense is not to the people that we're hurting by doing so. Our first offense is not to us and the, the wrath that's going to come into our lives. Our, our first offense is to the holiness of a majestic and awesome God who gave us life and created us for his glory. And we offend him. We cause him grief. See, we can say all we want that we love God, and we should. You get a chance. Matter of fact, go on Facebook even right now as you're talking. Let your whole Facebook family know, your friends. I do love God. Go ahead and say it. You should. Okay? If they don't know that, say it. We can sing our love for God, and we have in so many forms here today, and we'll continue to do it every Sunday we grab together. But here's the deal. Talk's cheap. You can say all kinds of stuff about how you love God. You know where it's going to show up? In your choices, in the things that you do. It says it lots of different ways in the scripture, but Jesus just kind of got right to the point when he said this in John chapter 14. He says, hey, man, I'm the son of God. I am God. And if you love me, you'll say it. You'll post it. You'll confess it. If you love me, you'll use, you'll use your words to make sure I know. No? He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll choose me. If you love me, you'll say it by honoring me in the things that I've told you to do. So may we do that. May we seek to glorify God more than we seek to improve our own lives. More than we seek to just positively impact those around us, may our chief aim be the glory of God. And the question that we want to answer in the next couple of weeks is this. How do we bring glory to God and not grief? How do we bring God glory and not grief? Those three things I told you are what we're going to cover this morning. Everybody duck. Here it comes. The first thing that Paul tells us is we need to choose honesty over deceit. We need to tell the truth and not lies. It says in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. It's interesting to me that as he's kind of started here in chapter 4 talking about the unity of the church, right? I mean, if you were here the first week we talked, uh, or I guess a couple weeks ago in the, in the previous series, we talked about how uh, the church is meant to be one, because there's one God, one body, one spirit, right? We're meant to be one. And when... Uh, we, we sin against each other or we sin against God's commands, we bring not only grief to the Holy Spirit, but we bring disunity to the church. And so he says this, hey, guys, don't lie. Let each one of you instead, so put off your lies, but each one put on the truth, speak truth. As he says earlier in this, uh, this book, uh, this letter, he says, speak truth and love in the body of Christ, for we are members one of another. If you think about it, we talked about this last week. Jesus, one of his names for himself was truth. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. If we have Christ, we have been brought into Christ and saved by Christ, but we are brought into his nature, his character. We are one with him. And as Paul said just a few verses ago about Jesus, the truth is in Jesus. If you're in Jesus, then the truth should be in you too. 
But here's the deal. Every one of us lies. That's not a lie. Every one of us lies. And every one of us is really good at pointing out everybody else's dishonesty and lousy at pointing out our own. We'll lie about our lying. I'm not lying. Yes, you are. You just did it again. You're lying and you just told me you weren't lying. That's two. We're, we, we love to point the finger, but we, we rarely uh, look in the mirror. There's a, <laughs> there's a farmer and a baker. It's one of, I read these commentaries every week to get ready for you guys to study you know, what other guys have said about these texts. I almost never use the stories they give because they're, they just don't resonate. This one's a good one, though. Ready? So this farmer and this baker make a deal. And the farmer, he has cows, and so he can churn butter. And the baker uh, takes that butter, and he turns it into bread, and the farmer needs bread. So the baker says, listen, I'll give you a pound of bread a week. You give me a pound of butter, and we'll just keep this going. So the farmer and baker shake hands, and the deal begins. A little while into the relationship, uh, the baker starts realizing that he doesn't have enough butter to, to make the bread that he used to bake all the time. And so he starts weighing it on his own scale, and he starts seeing that the the farmer is ripping him off. He's not giving him all the butter. It's not a full pound. And so he meticulously, you know, takes notes and, and, and you know, takes pictures and, 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 you know, shows evidence on the scale so that he can go to court and actually take this, this farmer to, to task for ripping him off. And that day finally comes, and the farmer's dragged into court and before the judge. And uh, <laughs> the baker uh, was told to wait outside until uh, the case could be weighed, and uh, he was waiting outside just dutifully, and... Uh, and it was a very short, short uh, time before the farmer walks out and just walks past him, and, and then the judge walks out. And the baker says, so what you, would you find? Am I going to get my money back? I've been ripped off. And he says, no, we've, we've not found that you have a case here at all. And the, the baker was irate. What are you talking about? I gave you all that evidence. He's, he's been shortchanging me on the butter. And he said, well, here's the deal. <clears throat> A few weeks into your relationship uh, with the farmer, the farmer's scale broke. And so in order for the farmer to know what a pound was, he took the pound of bread that you were supposed to give him, and he put it on the other end of his scale, and then whatever uh, you gave him for bread, he assumed was a pound, and that's what he gave you for butter. Isn't that a great story? I'm like, yeah. Take that, baker. <laughs> That's how we roll. As a culture, we've just gotten used to deceit. We live with a, uh, you know, a media that, uh, you know, depending on which side you uh, hold to, you see the other side is always fake news. And everybody reports with a slant. You can have the same story on two different news channels, and it sounds completely different. We have a, uh, an entire industry that's uh, banking on the fact that you want to traffic in lies. There's these magazines that you can read as you wait to pay for your groceries, right? And they're all about people and their stories and their business. And all of it is just made up because, uh, you know, certain people just want to dive into what's being said, whether it's true or not. Now, don't even get me started about social media. But here's the deal. Paul says that we've got to put lies off. And we need to instead live in truth. Deception grieves the spirit and harms our relationships. When Christians lie, it hurts eventually the entire body. Do you know that's true? Like you and I, if you call Bay Life home, if you got the bumper sticker on your truck or whatever, if you, if you have posted on you know, your social media that this is your place of worship, then 
whatever happens to you affects us, whether it's uh, indirectly in the minds of people and their opinions of us, or whether it's directly because you've actually lied to one of us and it's hurt our relationship personally. I love that God uh, chose in inspiring the scriptures to use the body as kind of a, an example for how the, the, the church works. The human body uh, is able at times uh, to lie to itself. Like your brain, if it's not working right, can tell the rest of your body uh, to do certain things or not to do certain things, and it's going to harm the rest of your body. My mom's got vertigo. She's older, and, and she wrestles with some of the, you know, the, the, the issues that she's uh, contracting as she ages. One of them is, you know, sometimes she has really uncontrollable vertigo. So she'll get up to go to the kitchen to grab a drink of water, and her body uh, wants to go to the kitchen. Her brain uh, starts sending all these garbled messages to her limbs so that she's just kind of, you know, doing this. And at first, because we're a sick family, we, we laughed. And, and, uh, <laughs> and we'd call her the drunk sailor and all that stuff. But as, as, as we begin to understand the, the severity of this, this is, how, this is why there is... Uh, that, that little button that is, uh, I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> Sorry, Miriam. There's, there's needs because, listen, this, and, and don't miss what I'm saying, your, your brain can tell your body these wrong messages that put your whole body in peril. Like, did you know that your skin has all these nerve endings in it, and, and, and your skin knows or senses when something's hot or something's you know, hurting you, and it, and it makes you react and get away from whatever's hurting you. Everybody gets that, right? You're human. Leprosy. Anybody heard of that? Leprosy is this condition that still happens in our world today, but was rampant back in the time of Christ, and so you see lots of lepers coming to Jesus for healing. And leprosy is this horrible thing. It basically rots your skin. It takes uh, the, the appendages, your fingers, your ears, your nose, and, and it just, they fall off, okay? But it also affects the rest of your skin in such a way that your skin loses its sensation. And so one of the, the greatest fears of, um, you know, those inflicted with leprosy is that they would stand too close to a fire because their robe would catch on fire, but because their, their legs are, everybody picking up what I'm putting down? When you and I lie, when you and I sin, uh, we bring damage to the body. Let's talk about the lies that happen, the out loud lies. Anybody ever just bold-faced lied to someone? You know what I find most people do when they boldface lie? A lot of times they don't even mean to. They just make stuff up so they don't look stupid. Anybody guilty of that? Don't lie. <laughs> yeah, we just don't want to appear to not know, and so where we don't know, we just guess. But we talk like, oh, this is totally true. Uh, it developed when we were kids. Little kids don't know a whole lot, and so you'll ask them questions, and they'll just make up these great stories, and we're like, oh, what an active, you know, creative mind. <laughs> but what they're really learning to do is just be creatively deceitful. And why do they do it? To protect their own pride. I don't want you to think I don't know. So let me just make some stuff up. You know, this whole imaginative narrative, uh, it can kind of become just really uh, dark. Because uh, here's what can happen. You can see some people doing some things, and you can perceive them to be doing certain things that maybe they aren't doing, but because you perceive that they're doing these certain things, you kind of fill in the rest, and you create what the Bible calls slander, gossip. It doesn't matter if it's true. It's what you think is true. And so you go around talking about so-and-so and how they do such-and-such, -and, -such, and all of a sudden, you've harmed a brother or a sister. It's totally fine in those situations to not do that. 
In fact, it's truthful to not add to a story that you don't have fully. In fact, you should be defenders of other people when they come up in conversation. When someone says, did you hear? No, I did not, and I don't want to. Thank you. Well, did you know? No, I did not, and you don't either. Please stop talking. Because we don't want to be the kind of body, the kind of people who propagate out loud, out loud lies. There's silent lies. These lies involve withholding truth, not telling the whole truth. And in doing so, they harm relationships too, right? Uh, I talked about social media a second ago. Social media is your best foot forward. Like we still take our cameras and put them up like this so the double chin disappears, right? I'm not as fat as I think I am. Look, no chins. And then we post that online and we post it with all our best days and all our best moments and people come away thinking, man, my life stinks because their life's awesome and my life's not like theirs. But it's only half-truths. You have bad days, you just don't post them. We can uh, uh, rob the body of Christ of its, of its healing uh, uh, abilities. By that I mean this. We, we can come to each other in life group and someone can ask us how we're doing and we can tell them half the truth. I'm fine. But really, we're not. And our marriages are falling apart and uh, this kid, you know, is, is, is still at it doing these things that he's chosen to do. And I'm a wreck, but I just don't want to let you know because I want you to continue uh, thinking well of me or what I think you think of me. So I'll just hold my hurt. And because we're not willing to tell the truth, um, the body of Christ is unable to surround us with its love and address those issues with us in prayer. There's self-deceit. Who's familiar with this one? Where we create, you know, uh, uh, these entire lines of truth that have nothing to do with truth. But we need them so that we can continue to justify how we're acting, what we're thinking how we're operating in certain relationships. Uh, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 14 that there is a way that seems right to a man, but it ends uh, in, in, a, in a way to death. And if, and if you're a, a victim of self-deceit, here's what's happening. Every day you're waking up in a false world, a world where everybody's out to get you, a world where you're just fraught with fear because you won't trust God and believe him that he's got you. Uh, you're walking with a limp, hobbled by the lies that you tell yourself. You've had horrible relationships, not based in reality, but based in this, this false story that you keep constructing about how that person is against you, and how that person wants to hurt you, and how you better hurry up and hurt them first before they hurt you. It all stems from us lying to ourselves. And lying destroys relationships, but most importantly, lying grieves the heart of God. As his father, he looks down on you in his love and he says, oh, you guys, if you just tell the truth, your life would be as I meant it to be. How about choosing right anger over wrong anger? Choosing right anger over wrong anger. Is it okay to be angry? Apparently, because here's what Paul says next. He says, be angry. Go ahead, get mad. 
But then the next line is formative. He says, be angry, but don't sin. So there's righteous anger and there's wrong anger. He says, when you are angry unrighteously, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because when you do so, you, you give the opportunity for the devil to have a foothold in your life. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about righteous anger first. God gets angry at all kinds of stuff. Uh, he is angry, just so you know, righteous anger is, is always rooted in God not getting the glory he deserves. In things not being as God designed them. That's when you can get angry. When you see things happen in the world that are outside of God's will, be angry at that because it's not supposed to be that way. Sin has made it that way. Are you with me? It's like, it's like when uh, Jesus was hanging out uh, uh, with his uh, disciples and a, a guy comes up to him with a withered hand. It's the Sabbath. And he's fixing to go heal this guy. And all the Pharisees are kind of getting around and going, oh, he's going to heal somebody on the Sabbath. He's going to do work on the Sabbath. They're so focused on the law of Moses and not doing work on the Sabbath that they've completely missed the spirit of God's, you know, um, uh, person. He, he wants to heal. He wants to provide. And so Jesus constantly uh, was doing things that defied their order, their narrative. And in this particular case, uh, Jesus is about to heal this guy. He hears or senses their, their disappointment in him, and he, and he looks around at them with what? Anger. He's mad. Why? Because these guys are way outside the way God intended things to be. They don't have a heart for mercy. And he was grieved. Look at that. The Son of God, who is God, was grieved by the choices of those around him. And he says to the man, hey, I don't care what these guys think. Your hand being uh, limp and, and withered, it's a result of sin being in the world. You, I'll heal you. Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Right anger always defends the glory of God. Wrong anger is the opposite. It always seeks to defend the created when I have wrong anger, I'm, I'm uh, uh, going beyond what God would have for me, and I'm, I'm holding on uh, to how the offense is, is uh, affecting me. I'll be mad because you haven't worshipped me like I feel like I deserve to be worshipped. I'll be mad because you haven't elevated me uh, to a place that I, I sense I, de I deserve. Now, the Bible's real clear. If you can go back to Ephesians for me real quick. It says, be angry, do not sin, so don't sin in a wrong way. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That basically means have short accounts. Deal with anger quickly so that it doesn't become bitterness and fester in your heart. But don't do it without contemplating. Do you know where this, uh, this verse, this, this teaching that uh, Paul gives us here in Ephesians comes from? It comes from Psalm chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. If we can go there, it says in Psalm chapter 4, uh, be angry and do not sin. Oh, sounds familiar, right? Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. So you got this kind of juxtaposition of, hey, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it fast, but don't deal with it without thinking. Ask yourself, is this righteous anger or is this wrong anger? Take the time. Be silent. This is, this is uh, Bible speak for count to ten. Anybody ever been told that when you get angry? Count to ten. Look what it says in the next verse. In Psalm 4, verse 5, it says, offer right sacrifices. Anger always, as a matter of just practice, for those of us who follow and want to honor God, anger should always go back to God. We should go to God and say, God, uh, help me in this. Show me in this. What's right, what's wrong, and free me. 
from taking things in my own hand. Instead, help me to put my trust in you. I'm pretty bad at this still. I get angry way too easy. Whether it's driving, whether it's uh, my kids disappointing me, sometimes uh, I get angry in, uh, in ways that are all about me and not about God. Uh, when I do that, uh, Paul says, I'm, I'm opening the door to other sins that our adversary might bring into my life. And then ultimately, I'm just hurting myself. Uh, Frederick Beekner is a, a Presbyterian pastor that wrote uh, some great books, and in one of them he wrote this. He said, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue, the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. Anybody know that person? Anybody been that person? He says, in, in many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. But then he says this, the chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. What a great t-shirt. Someone's got to print that one up. The skeleton at the feast is you. Can you picture that? When you're angry, you're devouring, you're, you're, you're enjoying even in some ways this feast that your rage is producing. But you get done with your anger, and who's lost? You. I give everybody permission to use that this week in your relationships. If someone's getting crazy angry at you, the skeleton at the feast is you. If you're feeling that anger, that might not work. Maybe, you know, okay. But certainly with yourselves, if you're feeling the anger come up, pull down that visor. Don't take your eyes off the road, but pull down that visor and get that vanity mirror out and just look at your eyes and say, the skeleton at the feast is you. And say a blessing over the guy that just cut you off. The last one's this. Choose honest work over dishonest gain. Choose honest work over dishonest gain. <laughs> uh, it says there, verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work. That's where I got that. With his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone who's in need. Some of you read this, maybe as you were preparing to, you know, to sit here this morning, you read that the, we were going to study these verses, and you're like, okay, yeah, I lie sometimes. Okay, I get angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steal. I'm good. Like, it's been years since I knocked off that 7-Eleven, and uh, I haven't done another one since, and so we're fine, right? Are you? Because we can steal in all kinds of ways. Stealing is basically taking from someone what God intends for them, whether it's their things or their honor, and taking it for yourself. Stealing, uh, in its most insidious uh, forms, takes from others what God intends for their needs, and it takes it for your wants. So you're on a team at work, and, and you're the, the lead in the team, and uh, someone comes up with this great idea that's going to solve the problem that you've been assigned to solve, and you go to your direct report, and you make it sound like it was your idea, and so you get the kudos, and you might even get the raise at the end of the year, and this person who had the idea is just left. You stole from them 
what God gave them to give to the company. Back in the day, stealing uh, came in all kinds of forms. I don't know if this still happens anymore, but I used to have friends come to me in church and say, dude, I figured out how to steal cable. They didn't say it that way. But it's essentially what they were doing. You know, if you go to the, t- the pole and you splice your wire off of their wire, you could take it right into your house and you never have to pay for cable again. They would come to me as a pastor in their church and be like, hey, I got a great idea for you. <laughs> and I'd just look at them and I'd be like, bro, that's, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. That's illegal. You're putting me in a tough spot here. I think I need to call a sheriff right now. No, it's great. It's awesome. I'm saving money. No, you're stealing. Speaking of saving money, people come into God's church all the time, and he says, hey, be generous. Give. Tithe. We talk all about that all the time. Um, But we don't. And so we end up stealing from God by not giving back to him. How can I steal something? He gave it to you. He told you what to do with it. Sometimes we unfairly uh, pay employees of ours and we steal from them what they deserve. Uh, Sometimes we steal from our employers their time. Because we're only supposed to take an hour, but he doesn't know if I'm gone for two. I mean, it's just a long lunch. I can knock off early. He's already left. Sometimes, as neighbors... We borrow and neglect to return. I just borrowed it for the last seven years. Well, yeah, he moved away. Well, then maybe you need to write a letter. I still have your trimmer. You want it back? A paper was given at the American Psychological Association uh, a few years back uh, uh, that presented a breakdown on the $8 billion at that time that uh, showed, uh, showed up in inventory shortages uh, at these different companies that were, were pulled. Um, in these uh, 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 chain stores uh, and these national companies that lost $8 billion, here were the, here's what they found out. 10% of that $8 billion was due to clerical errors, 30% was due to shoplifting, and 60% was due to theft by employees. What are you stealing from those around you, taking from them so that you can have? Stop doing it. Instead, what are we supposed to do? Do honest work. And and why are we supposed to do that? I love this. It's a great place for us to stop this week. We'll pick up next week. But he says, do honest work. Why? So that you can have more? Hey, go out there and do honest work. God will bless you. He'll give you more than you have, but you you just don't even know what to do with. You'll be so blessed. It'll be all about you. Go do your honest work so that you get. Is that what it says? No, it says, go do honest work. Why? So that others may have something. So that you can share something with anyone who's in need. It goes back to our totem pole. Everybody knows our totem pole, right? We're at the bottom. Others are second. And God is first. And so certainly we should obey God. It's going to bless us, but that's the bottom. It's going to bless others. That's really great, but that's not the top. When we obey God, we bring joy to his heart. We bring glory to his name. And that's what this life with him is all about. So may you and I now live the Christ life, seeking to bring God glory in all that we are. I'm going to give you just one second before we uh, sing a song.
to maybe just reflect. Here's what happens a lot of times. Preachers get done preaching and everybody heads to their cars and maybe you talk about it a little bit with those who are in the vehicle, you know, is what do you think, what do you, you know, what's going on? Maybe not. Maybe you just get on to the next things. I mean, there's a football game tonight, right? Here's what I'd love for you to do. If you're willing, peel the onion. Take back the layers. Don't stop it. I'm not a thief. Don't stop it. You know, I'm mostly telling the truth. Don't stop it. I rarely get angry. Ask God. Hey, Lord, is there any part of me that falls into these things that would bring grief to your heart? Help me to deal with it. Help me to confess it to you first. Help me to confess it to others. If, if I am angry with someone, I had a, a young lady come up to me after the service, and um, she's angry at her dad. Because her dad's not doing things that'll uh, provide for his health. And, and she loves her dad, and she wants her dad to be okay. But she's just mad at him. And so every time they're together, that's the emotion that comes into her life. You got someone like that? Pray about it. Confess it. Confess it to them. If you've been lying to someone, tell them the truth. Do it so that your life will be okay. Do it so that your relationship will be okay. But do it most of all. Because your choices and my choices bring God joy or they bring him grief. And if we truly love him, we'll want to bring him joy. You think. Let God tell you what you need to change. Just to see you, to behold you as my King, for your glory, I will do anything, just to see you, to
pray that's your prayer. That anything that you and I do would bring glory to the God who deserves all glory. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, you gave us life. You gave it to us for a purpose, to bring you the glory that you deserve, to enjoy you forever. Uh, forgive us, God, for uh, the times where in so many different ways we seek to bring glory to ourselves. Uh, when we do that, we know it grieves your heart, it, uh, it harms our relationships, and it doesn't bring about the life that you desire for us. So God, would you help us to know and obey the things that you command, to not do them because we have to, to not do them simply because it'll make our lives easier, to not do them just because it'll aid in improving our relationships, but to do them most of all, God, so that you get the worship that you deserve from our lives. For your glory, I pray that we will do anything and everything to see you as our king. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Go give glory to your king this week.